Federal agencies made history in fiscal 2021. They awarded more prime contract dollars to small businesses than ever before. Data from the Small Business Administration shows agencies not only surpassed the government-wide goal of 23%, but they also increased total spending with small firms by, get this, $8 billion. Federal News Network's Jason Miller joins me now with more about SBA's latest small business scorecard. Jason, give us some of the big numbers here. Overall, the federal government spent about $154.2 billion, or 27.23% of all prime contracts, with small businesses last year. Now, Tom, just to compare that to 2020, agencies awarded more than $133 billion to small firms, or about 26.5% of all prime contracts. So you can see how much of a big difference it is. SBA's annual small business scorecard awarded 21 agencies an A or an A-plus grade for their efforts. Now, that's actually down from 22 agencies that received those high marks in 2020, but still, nonetheless, a really important and historic accomplishment. Now, Isabella Casillas Guzman is the administrator of the SBA. She says this historic numbers are about increasing competitions and equity in the federal procurement process. The 2021 contracting achievements are great markers of the progress that we're trying to lead in our equity and procurement reforms in particular. And with the uh, you know historic reforms that we announced last year with the White House and the Office of Management and Budget and across the agencies, you know we are seeing uh, progress. We made some significant changes to strategic sourcing, uh, started uh, in ensuring transparency by releasing disaggregated data and tracking. Uh, those new entrants. Uh, And we wanted to ensure that we were managing uh, to performance plans, really focusing on small business contracting and socioeconomic firm goals. SBA Administrator Isabella Casilla Guzman speaking at a press conference yesterday to announce the 2021 Small Business Scorecard. Now, along with the overall 27% achievement, agencies also achieved several other goals around the socioeconomic categories. For example, they got 11% or $62.4 billion awarded to small disadvantaged businesses, and that too is an all-time high. Service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses received about 4.41% or $25 billion. Again, this is the first time ever the government has achieved or beaten the government-wide 3% goal for service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses. Two other categories, women-owned small businesses, 4.63%. They did miss out on the 5% government-wide goal. And hub zones achieved a 2.53%, but again, missing out on the 3% government-wide goal. Tom, you can find all these numbers. I know I give you a lot of them in my story on federalnewsnetwork.com. Yes, I was looking at that chart, and the numbers are pretty impressive, especially given how small the categories are in terms of numbers of companies. But also, it's true, right, that the Biden administration has set some pretty aggressive goals to increase this kind of contracting. So does that mean it's paying off? Can they take the credit here? You're absolutely right. Back in December, the Biden administration's procurement and equity reforms, they they kind of released those. And the government has a new government-wide goal of about 11% for all prime contracts to small disadvantaged businesses by 2022, so the end of this year. Obviously, the government achieved that goal a year early. So now they're on to the 25% goal by 2025. SBA Administrator Guzman says SBA is doing several things to continue to push the envelope for SDBs, especially in light of increasing concerns about contract bundling. Obviously, we want to continue to track the agency's usage of uh, contract bundling. We want to make sure that as much as possible, we can protect the small business contracting that exists and, and continue to expand uh, the diversity in our supply chain, which you know, small businesses bring to the table and that innovation that's brought to the table. With the president's uh, announced reforms, 
you know, last year we, we made an effort to try to at least uh, provide tools for small uh, for small businesses with agencies leveraging the category management system and, and automatically giving socioeconomic firms a tier two status, a higher tiered status, so that buyers can more readily use uh, our small disadvantaged businesses and our women-owned small businesses and our, our service-disabled veteran businesses and hub zones. SBA Administrator Guzman also says SBA uh, has also simplified the hub zone program by making sure there are these hub zone designations and maps are now changed every five years versus every year, which that now will create a lot less disruption for small firms. And these numbers, they really are impressive. But on the other hand, they're even more impressive when you consider the shrinking supply base of small businesses available to the government. And that's not really good news, is it? It is not good news at all. And there's a lot of concern about that industrial base, especially around small firms. And in fact, the number of small firms doing business with the government has dropped by 40% since 2012. And the number of new entrants into the federal market, this is as of 2021, beginning of 2021, is down by 60% over that same time frame. So while total contract dollars and number of contracts are up, that supply chain is shrinking. And that's concerning to SBA and also several other agencies. At the conference press conference the other day, Tom, we heard from Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of the Transportation Department. He says a new notice of proposed rulemaking would make it easier for disadvantaged business entities, or what, what DOT calls SDBs, to compete for infrastructure contracts. That notice is out for public comment right now. The DOT increased the number of small disadvantaged business prime contractors by 1.59%. And working with SBA, we have stepped up our outreach and our capacity building work in order to help with issues like access to capital and bonding capacity. And the contract awards that we gave to disabled veteran-owned small businesses, to hub zone firms, uh, and more have all increased. Right now, we have even greater opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I believe, thanks to the large investment in infrastructure and jobs in my lifetime coming through the president's infrastructure vision and the bipartisan infrastructure law. So now we have to make sure that these dollars get to where they can do most good and that we do a good job engaging DBEs to bring these projects to life. That was Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of the Transportation Department. Over at the Defense Department, obviously, they've had a lot of concerns about the shrinking industrial base, not just of small businesses, but more broadly. But Bill LaPlante is the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment. He says while DOD exceeded its small business contracting goal for the eighth consecutive year, it will soon issue a new small business strategy that will address some of these industrial-based challenges. We have to continue to look at removing and lowering barriers to do business with us. And we have that high on our on our on our priority list. So in the coming months, the uh, department will be rolling out our small business strategy, and we'll have additional initiatives we're going to do to reduce barriers to entry, and aligning our our small business with our national security imperatives for the country. And of course, our national uh, security is related to our national economic security. They're intertwined. Again, that was Bill LaPlante, the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment. So, Tom, I, I think that the overall thing here is is good progress. The fact that they made these historic highs, made these awards, those are all really good signs. I mean, the, the Biden administration is pushing hard on competition, on equity, on, on really ensuring that small businesses have the opportunity to compete. On the other hand, they have to do more to get more small businesses into the federal market. I think that's a huge concern. And it's something that that could really impact competition 
and impact the fact that as these small businesses grow, one, they become large businesses or two, large businesses buy them. So there's a lot of different pieces and parts moving here that I think SBA, DOT, DOD, GSA, so many others are trying to address. And I think the first step, though, is to show, hey, we're pushing more money out and contracts out to small businesses. And that in and of itself will attract more entrance into the federal market. Federal News Network's Jason Miller. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Tom. And be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to it? as a leader, and what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has you know, been at the highest levels and all. But I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League play- baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, uh, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood, and I and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind that that what we say and do. especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that 
and get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi- historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.